You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. From inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to another Colts Blue Zone Podcast here in studio with Joe Hopkins. I am Dave Griffiths. Mike Chappell joining us via the power of Beach Grove Wi-Fi. It is not given up just yet. Knock on wood over here. We're strong. I, I, I uh, fed the hamster, so we should be good to go. All right. Fantastic. We're good to go for the pod then. We will talk about the Colts' five most impactful offseason moves. That's kind of going to be the meat and potatoes of this episode. We'll get to that in a little bit, Joe, because there's a whole lot of news to discuss first. That's going to start with uh, fan favorite Tony Saragusa passing away at age 55. Uh, Pro Football Network's Aaron Wilson uh, reported that he died in his sleep. Um, he Goose played 13 seasons in the NFL. Seven of them here were with the Colts from 1990 to 1996. Just the, the budding years of, of Joe Hopkins' uh, fandom or sports fandom or, or, or his life in general. Do you have early memories of him? Because I know Chap has plenty. Not really. I okay. was born in 93, okay. so I was still yeah, pretty yeah. young by yeah. that time. But um, I do um, my more of my memories of Saragusa are him being a sideline reporter for Fox Games. Of course. And, and that's really where people your age and younger the younger generation in general have, have memories of him because he was a staple. He was on one of the biggest games every week. He got just he got a national audience every week close to it and, and he thrived in that role he really did he had the personality for it he had the knowledge for it I really think Joe that so few people can really uh sideline reporting is in one sense it's a really easy gig I've done it before I know how simple it is you talk for like 15 seconds seven times a game and and you have to but at the same time it's challenging because you have to offer something of value at the same time the good ones at least do and and Goose did. He offered a little bit of value with his knowledge of the game, and he certainly offered plenty of entertainment, which is something else that that role can do in the game and add to the broadcast, too. So he was a truly special guy. Is what uh, um, A long way of saying that he was truly special at what he did. Yeah, I'm sure Mike has a few um, fun stories he can share with us. but Some it, he it, can't share, probably, too. Probably some he can't share, but it was really just the personality that helped him carry over from not being just a fan favorite as a football player, but also a member of the media. Yeah, Mike, when you look at uh, Goose's career, obviously, he has several different stages of it, won the Super Bowl with the Ravens, uh, but started his career out with the Colts. And that was a time, of course, of transition of the franchise to building from the early 90s when they were very much in nothing uh, in terms of the NFL scene to uh, the mid 90s, where they finally uh, caught a little bit of fire, started developing some some playoff momentum. And then, of course, 98 came and everything was was different after that when, uh, when he was long gone. But what what when when you heard the news, what was your reaction and what were your first thoughts that came to your mind? Just too soon. I mean, he's 55 for crying out loud. Uh, and, and what a loss it is for everyone who knew him. You know, when you say larger than life, in so many ways, Goose was, I mean, physically and and everything. And he was, I was trying to put in perspective his time in Indy. And there were so many moments in Colts history. Like Eric Dickerson was the first. He gave him national, a national presence, who he was. Goose gave him a personality. Because he, 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 he was sort of Edron James before Edron James, where you just say what's on your mind. There's, there's no filter. And uh, he, he was, again... At times he wore you down because he was always on. He was always sort of entertaining, but he was always approachable. And what people forget, he's a pretty good player. He, he he was a pretty good player. He started, what was it, 78 games in seven years for the Colts. Ends up with, what was it, 22 sacks by, by a defensive tackle. And again, then he goes to the Ravens. It's kind of funny, his career was was Colts and, and pre-Colts, or, or post-Colts with the Ravens. But such a personality. And there were so many stories, again, from the way he he, he, he held court in the locker room, most much of which you, you couldn't put on camera. We could always edit it when we wrote. But uh, he'll be missed. He, he, and, again, I think what, when he transitioned to sideline reporter – it, it's not like he had to do any studying. He was just being goose, which is what you want. And he was so ahead of his time, I think, in what they – because I think some people said, what's he doing out there? Well, he's being goose. And that's what Fox realized. 
Some sometimes he talked about the game, sometimes he didn't. He was talking to fans or whatever. I just think that he was such a personality, uh, and and I got to know him pretty well. And if I, you know, you, you never call, you just seldom call players friends, just because of the environment. But Goose was one of those guys that if I pass at a mall, would stop and talk for ten minutes just because that's who he was. But uh, he'll be missed. Uh, I just hope people realize that along with being a gregarious, outgoing, raw person, pretty good player in his own right. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about his impact as a player too, Joe, because that's a time when a lot of defenses were maybe not transitioning, but more accepting the 3-4 style too. And he was key to any type of a 3-4 defense, that position, you know, the nose, the inside, or like just to be able to kind of eat up the middle of the line. And he did it brilliantly for the Ravens is the what where he gets kind of the attention because they won that Super Bowl and it was that elite defense like Ray keeping, Lewis exactly keeping guys off of Ray Lewis and and doing and and doing more than that certainly in his own right still producing but um but but he was one of the earlier prototypical guys that led to people like Vita Vea nowadays who who can stay in the middle Vea is probably a little bit more athletic than Goose was back in the day but still Goose kind of was kind of transitioning part of the transition of the NFL to to make that maybe a little bit more commonplace yeah the nose tackle I mean during a time when you know a, a lot of a, much more teams still centered their offense around running the football I mean 1500 yard rushers weren't um, as uncommon as they are today and so you really needed someone who could plug up the middle and clog up the middle nowadays there's much more emphasis on the passing game and goose as mike mentioned was able to get the quarterback for 22 sacks in his career which is pretty good from his position as a nose tackle um, but he just during a time where one of the main focuses was stuffing the run few did it better we will certainly and, and go one, ahead chat go one ahead thing before and one other thing on him with his career in 95, when they sort of captured lightning in a bottle at the AFC Championship run to Pittsburgh, Goose was in the middle of that. That year, that defense was tied for seventh in yards and fourth in points. And he's in the middle of that. And what people forget, which was too bad for Goose, remember they went to San Diego and win, then they go to Kansas City when it was like a zillion below. He didn't play that game because he was sick. He stayed in his hotel room. And then they go to Pittsburgh, and I, I realize he won his uh, Super Bowl with the Ravens. To this day, uh, if the Colts make one play against Pittsburgh, one play in the fourth quarter, one, they're in the Super Bowl, and, and Dallas was right to be beat. So they, they, they were that close to being one of the all-time, all-time great stories in NFL history. And I can only imagine how Goose would have responded had Indy found a way to win the Super Bowl against Dallas that year. Yeah, Goose uh, it was certainly one of the, one of the all-time great personalities in NFL history. You, you don't see too many like him, um, and we, he will certainly be missed. Uh, for So best best wishes to his friends, his family, uh, his former teammates, and, uh, and, all, and all those who knew him. Uh, so... Uh, there was it was a tragic week in the NFL as uh, Ravens linebacker Jalen Ferguson uh, also passed away at the age of 26. According to Baltimore police, there were no signs of trauma or foul play suspected. Uh, and the medical examiner will determine the cause of his death eventually. But he's leaving behind three children under the age of five. Uh, Joe, a, a horrible week for the Baltimore franchise, losing Syracuse, uh, of course, tied to them. And now uh, Jalen Ferguson, who is a promising young player, holds the FBS career record with 45 sacks at Louisiana Tech. Um, it, it, it just like I said, it's just horrible. This is the time, like we said a couple weeks ago, that you don't want to hear anything uh, about players' names in in the news this time of year, leading up to training camp. But th this is what you you never even think of could happen. Something like this, you think like, oh, somebody could get in trouble here and there. We might have to do something to bail them yeah. out. This is this is just an unthinkable tragedy. What is uh, what's happening to them? It's tragic. A former, you know, third round pick, like you said, holds the FBS record. Sack Daddy was his nickname, and it just seems like there's been obviously one is too many, but him, Jeff Gladney, Dwayne Haskins. There's been several current young NFL players pass away over the off season, and it just you know really tears at your heart for someone to with so much promise to lose their life so early. Yeah, uh, completely agree. So uh, also the best wishes to his family, his friends, and the Baltimore Ravens franchise for, for losing Jalen Ferguson. Um, Rob Gronkowski has decided to retire again uh, as a tight end. 
None have been better over the past decade. Uh, he leaves the league, or at least supposedly leaves the league for now. Third in receiving touchdowns with 92. Fifth in receiving yards with more than 9,200. Tenth in catches all time, 621. And that's and, among tight ends. Exactly, yes, among tight ends. Uh, thank you for clarifying that. And, chap, whenever Gronk lined up against the Colts, they were going to lose. And that's what it was. He was 8-0 in his career against the Colts, most recently last year with the Buccaneers. So we here in Indianapolis have had a firsthand look at his greatness for a long time. And he certainly delivered against the Colts, more so than that, but against so many teams in the league. So he will certainly be in the conversation uh, in your room five, six years from now about being a first ballot Hall of Famer when that time comes. If he indeed retires. Exactly. I mean, wouldn't you like to go to Vegas and put $50 on whether he's on an opening day roster? I, I, just, I, might, do, I might do that. Uh, he, he's one of those guys that I'm not saying he, – he craves attention. He, he, he really misses that and wants that. But, you know, what, what Joe's mentioned here, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? You know, I've really gotten to the point that I'm – as a member of the selection committee – we're putting too many first-time guys in, first-time eligible guys. We just are. One of the reasons you have to wait five years is you want the immediacy of that guy's career to, to sort of ease down so that you can kind of look at it, you know, with fresh eyes. But, boy, when you talk first battle Hall of Famers, how do you not include Gronk? And, you know, I, I realize there's a lot of angst from – people in central indiana because of his new england days but boy you how do you not just appreciate the player you, you just step back he's one of those guys you hate him if he comes to your team you love him so i i think he's probably without question a first ballot hall of famer but let's see if that's in what was it 2027 or does he come back and play again to push push the clock even further and joe his agent drew rosenhouse even said uh hours after Gronk announced his retirement that he wouldn't be surprised if sometime during the season gets a call from Tom Brady and he's back there on the field. It must be nice to go through an offseason, not have to worry about OTAs, not have to worry about training camp, not even have to worry about practice for the first couple weeks of the year. But then you get a call and maybe week four, five, six, you just hop right in and you're good to go. Heck, screw week four, five, six. Wait till December. Right. Wait, you know, playoff time. Just, you know, did, did, catch did a couple. Didn't he wait a while last year? I mean, he didn't go through all the offseason work, did he? I don't think I, he did any offseason. Maybe he did some in the training uh, camp, but not the offseason. That's yeah, what I mean. I think. I think it was a couple years ago because he played the full year this past season. Okay, he did? Yeah, because he, he, they didn't make the Super Bowl. He played in the Super Bowl two years ago with them uh, for the Buccaneers. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. So it's been a couple years um, since Gronk retired and came back. But, yeah, I remember he came back a little late for that. At this point in his career, he's a big body that Tom Brady trusts. And if in December or playoff time, Tom Brady has says, hey, remember those routes he used to run? Can you come out here and just catch a few passes uh, during playoff time? Because at that point, you're just adding to your glory. You're not going through all the work and all the – he's got nothing left to prove. But I'm sure he's got another finger or two that could use a, a Super Bowl ring. Hey, he's got four. One more, one for the thumb, as the Steelers uh, said when they won their fifth uh, several years ago. That would be a while ago, actually, now when I'm thinking about it. But um, but Gronk, Gronk was, was elite of the elite. When you're stacking up best tight ends of all time, like he's certainly up there. And the way that I heard it described just the other day – was whenever he was on the field, as a defense setting up against that offense, you had to treat it, you had to choose whether you were going to treat it as 11 personnel or 12 personnel. And what that means for those of you uh, at back home who are not quite uh, familiar with the, the, the deep-seated lingo there, 11 personnel is one running back, one tight end. 12 personnel is one running back, two tight ends. Um, that's how it's referred to. So... Basically, treating 11 personnel is usually with three wide receivers, and uh, 12 personnel, one-two, is with uh, two tight ends, two wide receivers. Essentially, what, what it's a long way of saying that Gronk was just as good as a receiver as he was as a blocker, and a lot of tight ends do, do not uh, stack up in that same sense. Look at a guy like Antonio Gates. Elite, elite, elite receiver. Fair blocker. Decent blocker. Good blocker even, 
but not an elite blocker. And Gronk was different. He was elite at both of them. So when you're a defense, you didn't know if the team is lining up basically in a prototypical two tight end set that's more of a jumbo package, more of a short yardage um, uh, threatening the off, threatening the defense, or in 11 personnel, which is more wide out, more spread, more down the seam, more attacking long. So, uh, Chap, he just made so he made things so difficult for so many teams, and and the Colts were certainly one of them. And uh, they last year, like look at last year, he had 36 catches all of last year. Seven of them came against the Colts last year. He got uh, more than a hundred yards, so he he was still he was still just fine, like looking good last year. And uh, and, and the Colts saw probably the worst of it. He had probably one of his best games of the year here in Indianapolis. Yeah, and we always talk how Frank Reich likes to be tight end friendly, and he will try that again this year. But but you you to make that really work and maximize, you, you need that guy that can do what you just explained. That, that what is he winning? You know, back in the day with Dallas Clark, you never really worried about Dallas being that inline blocker, right? You, it, because if you did that, you were putting your quarterback at risk because Dallas was not a blocker. So to to have a guy like Gronk, that he's an immediate mismatch with whoever you put on him. So again, the Colts. It's funny. I looked at those stats and I I saw seven zero regular season and. And one on the playoffs, I thought that can't be right. That can't be the total thing. But they just—they're like so many teams that have that have problems covering that kind of tight end. To a lesser degree, last year in Baltimore with Mark Andrews, they had no clue, and and he just tore them up. So when you get that guy, he gives you so much flexibility. Maybe what Eric Ebron gave him. Whatever year that was, was it 18? I 18, yeah. You know, now, now, Ebron wasn't even remotely the same blocker. But that tight end gives you so much flexibility. And that's what we were talking about, looking ahead to the Colts this year, what, what they're going to do at tight end. But with, with Gronk, again, if he stays retired, first ballot guy, because they just don't make guys like him very often. Deshaun Watson has settled 20 of his 24 sexual misconduct suits against him as the NFL investigation uh, is still ongoing. I believe there was actually a release from the NFL or a tweet something from, um, oh, I forget his name. but Brian, Brian uh, McCarthy. Yeah, thank you, chap. Mar- Brian McCarthy um, saying that this does not impact the NFL's investigation or the uh, the pending suggestion for uh for a penalty uh, or suspension whatever it may be imposed against him but uh nevertheless this is this is something with with this it is drawing toward its conclusion i think the first time in a long time we can say there's a significant i think step forward toward a conclusion in my opinion at least um toward getting a specific uh suspension or penalty levied against uh, deshaun watson which won't be nothing for sure there's going to be something um, and so, so Joe, this is just, I guess, the next step forward, even though the NFL says that the specific settling of the lawsuits does not sway their uh, investigation one way or the other. Yeah, I'm sure they say that. I'm not sure how much I believe that. I'm sure if this never would have, you know, came to light at all and never went to the courts, the NFL would be happy just to sweep it under the rug and act like nothing's going on. But I, I, I just think it's extremely interesting to me in a case like this, how hard does the NFL come down on Deshaun Watson, who, who throughout the entirety of this has maintained his innocence? Um, I think a lot of the information has come out that Deshaun Watson, at very least, participated in extremely creepy behavior. Um, uh, in my opinion, not, is, that, is that a legal term? Creepy, <laughs> right? No, it's not. And so that's but, but why a, he's but, not, but you know, being charged with yeah, anything. There's a difference between creepy unsavory and illegal you yeah know? yeah and which makes it very difficult for the nfl to uh uh come to a judgment on right. this they if, do have a personal conduct policy that is stricter obviously than the, than the law. line between legal and illegal right absolutely if, if i had to guess right now and obviously i don't have all the information that the nfl has i, I would guess 68 games something like that Seems about right. Some people are calling for a full year. I have a hard time believing that that's going to happen, but it could. Um, I, I, I think roughly half the season was Deshaun's going to get. Well, we will see probably sooner rather than later. Chap, you have anything to say? Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I've always kind of hung on the eight games. And now whether that gets, you know, then you appeal it back to six, I don't know. I don't know that the league will come down for a season. And, and what we've talked about before, what's really 
not creepy, but I, I guess smart, is how the contract is, is, is structured that if he's suspended for the entire year, he loses, what, a, a million? Because the next year is, is when the, the, the real money base salary-wise kicks in. But, I, I again, if I'm not mistaken, it was reported that, that they attempted to make a settlement last year, was it, or earlier this year? And that was denied. So at some point, the, the settlement will leak out because it always does. Yeah. But there's still there's still a, apparently four other alleged uh, or allegations out there that didn't settle. And I, I yeah, I, I just wish what, what I don't understand. I realize that this is a still a developing story because a couple of these have come out in the last month or six weeks. I think it is. But I I, I don't understand. Why the NFL hasn't acted? I I, I just don't. Uh, I I think they need to come down with some discipline, if no, if nothing else, on the on the twenty four cases. Make the decision, and then you know if if something else happens, I I suppose you can alter things, but just just make a decision, suspend him for six eight games the season, and move on because this thing about drip 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 and indecision is just hard for me to understand finally this morning thursday as we tape the pod peyton manning's nephew arch manning has committed to play his college football at texas hook em horns hook em horns our chris wedlake is doing backflips in the office right now as his beloved longhorns will get the top ranked recruit in 2023's recruiting class going to texas arch manning should be interesting texas for a long time has just been kind of not Maybe you can use the term a sleeping giant because you know what potential that program has and the history that program has and the uh, the benefactors that program has and how much great high school football is played in that state. Uh, well, they're, they're taking the, the number one recruit out of New Orleans this year and what will certainly be a great class now that he's going there. There's going to be people who want to play with him. There's going to be kids who sign on just because Arch Manning is there or a big part because of that. So, uh, Joe, he might not be Peyton Incarnate, uh, the next generation, but uh, his, his high school stats have been fantastic, so he certainly earned that number one recruit. It's not just a name-only type of thing. Oh, yeah, 72 touchdown passes to 18 interceptions in three years. Um, it's exciting to kind of see the next generation of Manning. You know, mm-hmm. Peyton and Eli are out of the league, and now Arch is uh, third generation getting Manning. into the college ranks. And, you know, 2026 if I'm not mistaken, is when he'll be eligible to get into the draft. So the Colts might be looking for a bridge quarterback between Matt Ryan and 2026. There you go. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they can bring Dan Orlowski back and he can get him the number one overall pick again so that they can take the quarterback of their choice. You know, I was, I was thinking that is there any player that has been more in football, more hyped, who, who, who will carry more expectations with him in, into college and is there, from what I've read and what I know from the Manning family and Cooper, his dad, is there any player more equipped to deal with it? Uh, you know, m- maybe there is a player that I'm just forgetting. Th- this is kind of, to me, like Damon Bailey going to IU, but but at least this, this would be Damon Bailey going to what Wisconsin or somewhere outside the state. But the, the, the hype that's going to follow Arch is incredible, incredible. And I don't know that any player has the background and the resources to handle it. This is going to be amazing to follow his career. We will certainly follow it. And many Colts fans root for a top pick in 2026, like you said, Joe. So, a, so a 2025 is going to be a crappy year, you're saying, you hope. Exactly, yeah. So we got uh, got one good year, 2022. Uh, 23, maybe a little downturn. 24, then crater. Just, br- just break it all down. Yes. Sell off the high yes, contracts exactly. with those draft picks. Exactly. So so we'll see what happens then. Um, and just a quick note, uh, two Colts home games have already sold out. Uh, single ticket, single game tickets. That's the uh, home opener against Kansas City and Monday Night Football against Pittsburgh Week 12. No surprise for me to see that Pittsburgh is one of these first ones to sell out because their fans travel like crazy. 
And also, no surprise that the home opener is sold out. So those are, those are the two. And uh, if you have tickets, you can get them uh, for their uh, other six home games, or you can get tickets for these with uh, some season ticket packages or multi-game packages, I believe. So all that, I'm sure, is available. Colts.com. Uh, head on there if you want to head out to Lucas Oil Stadium sometime this year. And that brings us to our meat and potatoes, like I said, of this podcast. The five most impactful off-season moves for the Colts this off-season, which has been a very eventful off-season. I got a page right here. No one can see it except Joe uh, with uh, just a whole list of everything that has gone on. And uh, although I'm sure we all agree that uh, signing linebacker Zaire Franklin, uh, Syracuse's <laughs> own, to another contract will be number one on our list. Um, I kid, but he is a very important special teams player and uh, and all that. So. And a starting linebacker. That's right, and a starter at that point, for crying out loud. My goodness. Um, so, so like I said, top five. Um, top five off-season moves. We'll work our way from five to one. And... Um, yeah, there, there's a lot going on, a whole lot going on this offseason. And uh, so we're going to start. We're going to start at five and work our way to one. I'll go first um, and then Chap and then Joe. And uh, then we'll kind of keep going around from four to three to two to one eventually and kind of just uh, bounce back and forth there. So uh, I'll, I'll start with uh, my number five most impactful offseason move for the Colts. Uh, that would be bringing in Gus Bradley to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, last couple years, Matt Eberflus has led this defense to be a top 10 unit in the NFL. Uh, it has led them to be one of the best teams taking the ball away in the NFL, but has also been inconsistent situationally. And uh, Chap alluded to the Baltimore Ravens game earlier this year. Uh, and make, that Make a play. Make a play. There you go. Please. Just make one play. One play in the fourth quarter. Stop Mark Andrews one time. Stop one of what was it? Eight two point conversions. It certainly felt like that. So, uh, what what impact does Gus Bradley have? How does his system change things? Are Darius Leonard and Kenny Moore and DeForest Buckner still as important in this new system as they were in the last system? Can their excellence as players maybe even? Uh, overtake some uh, some less important role technically in this system as uh, compared to the last one. Um, does anyone else step up? Does a safety or a corner? Um, who? How can he bring about um, development of players on the defensive line, the young players out there? So Gus Bradley's introduction here uh, to to the Colts, I think, is for me the fifth most, and you could certainly make a case that it's higher than this. And I really kind of was going back and forth between this and my next one, which we'll get to eventually, as to which one was more important. But uh, right now, I have Gus Bradley to uh, to the Colts as defensive coordinator as my fifth most impactful offseason move. Joe, what do you have at number five? I also went with Gus Bradley, and it's kind of a two parter. Not only Bradley coming in, but obviously Eberflus leaving, which precedes that. Um, so I just think that changing out of de- defensive coordinators is going to have a big impact on the D. Jap. Yeah, I, I have that on my list, but different. I've got Stefan Gilmore at number five. Uh, I, I think he, he provides what they have. We, what the plan is that he provides what they haven't had. I'm not saying a shutdown corner, but a corner that you can depend on, you know, two years, $23 million, and I realize he's had injury, not at the end of last year, but before that. But five Pro Bowls, two first-team All-Pros. And, and Defensive Player of the Year, not like in 2009, but 2019. So I've got Stefan Gilmore as my number five. I, I like having Gilmore in there. Gilmore just, just missed the cut for me. Like, I had him up there on my list. And I had five that were slightly more important, but I, th- I think is important to mention and, and certainly to talk about in this case, because like a cornerback, we've we've discussed already how important uh, this offseason a, a cornerback can be, because if we're saying that a number one wide receiver is important across the NFL, then you need a number one cornerback as well to be able to stop him. Same with like offensive line, defensive line. If a pass rusher is so important, then your left tackle is so important as well. Like those elite, elite positions need a counter. And Gilmore certainly provides that. Last year, with the number one corner being uh, Xavier Rhodes, did not work out all that well. Uh, he, he had a much better year two years ago than he did last year. Certainly, injury is probably a cause of that. Um, age may be caught up with him, part of that. Um, but nevertheless, there's certainly hope that Gilmore is um, is going to be uh, part of 
uh, part of the uh, the solution to some of the the secondary problems. Yeah, I'm a little surprised he left him off. He's my number four. Okay, I, we go to number I, four. I put go him ahead. at um, above Gus Bradley, and part of that is you know obviously he's in Gus Bradley's defense. It all kind of fits together, but I think he fits really well in this Gus Bradley defense. Kind of press at, at the line of uh, scrimmage, bump and run. I think he's going to fit really well in that uh, coverage. And he played really well um, in eight games last year after coming back from that. I think it was a quad injury. Um, Pro Football Focus is third highest graded cornerback in man coverage with 85 grades. So I think Gilmore can still get it done. Maybe not quite how he was three years ago, but if he's 90% of the defensive player of the year that he was, that's Mm -hmm. still a terrific cornerback. Chap, what would you have for number four? Uh, Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, I, again, I think that he, I think he's he's what's been missing uh, since maybe Justin Houston's first year here as a free agent. They they need a guy where where offensives say, you know, we better account for this guy, just just because he he can't wreck a game. He's got the, he's still a semi young player. He knows Bradley's system inside and out, and he knows how to play the Leo. So I I think he and I think. What great players do, I'm thinking like DeForest Buckner, they make people around them better. And I think with with Ngakwe and, and Buckner, that Pay and Dio should just emerge this year. So I, I think getting Ngakwe in the trade, and you gave up Yassin, you gave up one of your starting corners to get him. Uh, I think he was one of the two missing pieces on defense. Yeah, um, I, I certainly have him eventually, and and I agree that getting uh, getting that guy that we've been clamoring for since we started the podcast, like we say, they need an edge rusher, they need an edge rusher, they need an edge rusher, and finally Ngakwe is a guy who can get you eight to ten sacks a year, um, and he's been consistent at doing that. So uh, I'll, I'll talk more about that eventually. But my fourth um, most impactful offseason move was one of the draft day trades. And that was the trade with the Vikings. The Colts sent a two and a four to the Vikings for a two, a three, and a six. I thought that was the best trade that um, that Ballard pulled off on draft day. Really, you moved down just 11 spots in the second round, and then you moved up uh, from the fourth round to the third, and you gained a six for it. Uh, that, that was a significant return in my mind, and they used those picks to take Alec Pierce, Bernard Raymond, and Alec Ogletree there. I'm still not convinced whether Alec Ogletree or Jelani Woods is going to be the better uh, tight end long term. So I think that's that's a complete wild card there. Um, I don't think he's going to have an impact this year. So I can't put it any higher than that as, as number four here. But And I don't think Pierce is going to have a super hot, big impact this year either. But Raymond is, is a guy that could sneak in there um, in, in several different ways. If, uh, if your left tackle uh, with Pryor doesn't work out or if he beats him out, then it's huge. Then immediately, uh, starting a rookie at left tackle makes it a very impactful position. So I'm kind of leaving the door open there for Raymond to have a little bit more of a role, and there's certainly a chance, even if he's not the starter, that he's going to come in and play a couple games uh, in certain positions here and there to try to get him some experience this year. I think they'd like to get him some experience on the line doing something. Um, But uh, this might have more longer-term impact, but I think this was a really good trade for this year, and you're going to have a couple of those picks really able to provide for you uh, at, at least a little bit from time to time. So I really debated between Gus Bradley and this, which one I thought could be more impactful. So I, did, I, I decided to go this one at the end of the day because I really did like the trade. I thought they got great return value for it. So uh, there, there's optimism in Colts headquarters that that Pierce can be better than I think he's going to be this year. So I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, too. So I, I like that trade there for number four for myself. Any thoughts? Um, I, yeah, I like it too. I like it too. Uh, I, I did. I, I went more with you, you. You always wade a little deeper into the water than I do. On I try. But that, uh, and again, this is one where you, we may not know until mid-season or next year. Totally. But that that's that's why Ballard and his staff get such high marks outside is because they're they're not only do they make moves, but the the moves generally work out. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I didn't really think about it like that, but if that move ends up becoming their starting left tackle this year, that's an extremely impactful uh, 
thing to do and should be on my list if that's in case how it turns Shame out. Shame on you, Joe. Shame on you. Okay, we'll, we'll go to number three. We're working our way up the list. Uh, number three most important move for me this offseason was acquiring Yannick Ngakwe uh, for Rock Yassin. And, Chap, you already talked about the importance of Ngakwe, so I don't feel like I need to go deep into that. But also trading away Yassin is an impact as well, and certainly from, from the other side of things. He was really coming on last year. I think a lot of us got a whole lot more bullish on Rock Yassin's NFL future during the second half of last season than you were for the first two and a half years of his career. So I, I think he's a guy who's growing who could be very, very good for the Raiders or wherever his career takes him. So, I mean, this is certainly an impactful move to get someone for the Colts that they need, but it's also an impact in the secondary. They brought in Faison. They brought in Gilmore. Yes, absolutely. And I like those two guys outside corners, and you like the development of Isaiah Rodgers. But I don't know if Rodgers was quite at the level of Yassine yet to be the type of starter or whatever to come in. He's going to be your third or your fourth right now behind Kenny Moore anyway. So um, to, 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 to send away a guy like Yassine could be impactful in, in the wrong way. Uh, so, but you, you kind of put him in there with, with Ngakwe. Is, I think his impact is going to be incredibly positive. That uh, th- This one was, was pretty, uh, a pretty significant move for me, Joe. Yeah, and I, that's what I had at number three as well. You know, I, I'd mentioned that Gilmore last year was Pro Football Focus's third highest cornerback in man coverage. Well, Rocky Sin was the fifth, mm-hmm. so he really did have a terrific year. He didn't. He kind of. It's easy to go under the radar when you're just playing really solid coverage, and the quarterback either doesn't throw your way or it goes incomplete because he didn't have a ton of picks, so he didn't get a, a ton of attention. But he really came on in year three, played really well, and that's a good point of giving up a young cornerback who's still ascending and could become even better could establish himself as one of the best cover corners in the league a year or two down the road chap what'd you have for number three this year one one thing back on on number four with you seen just to throw out there that these guys are always looking two or three or four years down the road because you have to with personnel and I wonder, again, I'm, I'll take a pass rusher every day over a corner. I just will. But how much in the back of their minds were they thinking, you know, next year will be a sins contract year, and we're probably not going to pay him starter, you know, elite starter money. Now, that, that may be reaching too much, but cause as, as well as he played last year, he's been inconsistent. He's sort of been – that guy that gets on streaks. I'm just curious how much that they would not want to plan on reinvesting in him when his contract's up. Just a thought. My my number three was Bradley, Gus Bradley. Uh, And and I put him, and generally I'm a player over scheme guy because I don't care how great your scheme is. If you haven't got the players, it doesn't work. But I think they're, they, they, again, they're, they, they're making, they sort of said how, you know, there's still going to be a 4-3, and you're going to see a lot of what Flus did there, but you're going to see a lot of what Flus didn't do just because there are differences. And, I, and I, I put Bradley above the players because he will have an impact on how – he should have an impact on how Kenny Moore is used and Darius Leonard, and he knows how to use Gilmore and Ngakwe. So in this case, I put – I, I put the coordinator over the players where normally I would take players over the coordinator, but uh, I think they're expecting a more of an attacking defense. That's probably the one thing that's always bothered people about about Flus is it the bend but don't break, which which is too simplistic. But I don't think that's going to be a, a one of our our uh, criticisms of Bradley. It, it's not going to be that he's passive in how they approach things. Yeah, uh, I, I it's hard to argue against the guy calling the plays as being uh, significantly less important than the guys out there. But but you're right. That's always a, 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 a good debate, whether it's the, the player, or the scheme, the player, or the coach. And like I, I lean toward Ngakwe just because I think that a, um, a, a pass rusher can have a unique impact on the game very much individually. Whatever um, the scheme, whatever the scheme. Yes. Yes. 
So, uh, but but I, I think you can absolutely make the good argument as you just did that Gus Bradley is just as important, if not more so, than Ngakwe Joe. I think it's going to be like like Chap said, a, a different style defense that Colts fans will see. There's going to be a little bit more attacking, some more chance taking. It could be a little bit of fun to watch if things work out well. I'm excited about it. I really am. I thought Eberflus was a very good defensive coordinator. I, I mean, did too. Yeah, obviously he got a head coaching job, and just the immediate difference from that. Very first year, I believe in 2017, 20, I believe it was 2017. No, it was 2017, wasn't it? Because it was the one year, it was one year before. Uh, I think no, it's 2018 because yeah, no. 2017 Pagano was still around. Okay. Well, didn't. Because that was Malik Hooker's first season. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So yeah. it would have been 2018. Yeah, you're right. That defense went from one of the worst in the league to a top 10 unit immediately. So. Um, I think Eberflus is going to have success elsewhere, but at the same time, I'm excited about Bradley coming in and bringing in that more aggressive approach. Yep. So uh, we got, we each got two spots left here, number two and number one. Really, there's only one Boy, since we're going to have yeah, Zaire Franklin about. number one. But uh, yeah, but yeah, exactly for real. Like I, I I was like I was really debating trying to combine these two into one move somehow. But I, I just couldn't do it. I was like, they're both really unique. They're both incredibly different. And as Chap has pointed out many times before, when the Colts made the Wentz move, the Ryan move was not on the table. So, so they really do need to be two different moves. And I have, an, I have a good idea which order we're going to put them in because one guy is still here in the building and having an active impact on the team. But I'll, I'll start off with my second most impactful offseason move, and that is the decision to trade Carson Wentz away to the Washington Commanders. Uh, the Colts get a uh, two... A three and a three. Uh, the commanders get Wentz a two and a seven. So it's basically a swap of second round picks this past year that the Colts then went and traded uh, to the Vikings, which I included earlier in my uh, in my top uh, stories here. Uh, so th- this is obviously a, a, a massive move for the franchise when you decide to move on from a quarterback, especially one who has only been here for one season, a guy that you wanted to be here a whole lot longer than that. Um, the, 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 the ripples go out well beyond just the quarterback and, uh, not having Wentz in the locker room anymore is a significant move for this franchise. So I take it then obviously Matt Ryan is number one for you. Who knows? We'll get to it. <laughs> well, I mean, I still haven't mentioned Zaire Franklin yet. <laughs> well, I'm just saying we could just kind of talk about these in tandem. I went the other way. I put Ryan really? in because if you never trade Wentz, Ryan doesn't come here really? in the first place. So okay. I think trading Carson Wentz is definitely... Really? the most impactful okay, move. Okay, okay. Um, because without, like I said, without getting rid of them, the other one doesn't come in. Yeah. I, um, I, I just, I, I guess I thought of it differently, thinking that it'll be, like Matt Ryan will certainly have more of an impact on the team for the season ahead, you know, since he's actually playing for the team. But 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 I, I hear what you're saying, too, and that's that's an interesting way to think of yeah, it. Yeah, the Colts, I mean, they, next year's pick, third rounder, could become a second rounder. There you go, yeah. Um, the third rounder they did use from Washington this year was... Um, used on Jelani Woods, who yep. uh, the Colts are very excited about. Um, regardless of whether you have them ranked one or two, this is clearly the quarterback runs the team of just about every football team, and it's going to be fascinating to watch these two guys, one in blue, one in, I guess, red now? What would you call that? Orangish red, red-orange. Just uh, don't say red maroon, and the maybe. word skin together. You have to have at least two words in between them when you're talking about <laughs> this uh, this football team. Well, great. You just got us canceled, Dave. Oh, but no. Anyway. I'm in trouble. No, Chap, uh, go, go, are, are you done? I, yeah, I'm basically done. Yeah, are you done, Joe? Gosh, I'm done. Crap, no, Joe, Chap, what do you think? You'll, you'll be the tiebreaker, whether uh, the second most yeah, important you, or the you most know, important. I, this really bothers me a lot because I agree with Joe. No! Uh, <laughs> yeah, because, again, as important, this entire season will come down to how Matt Ryan plays. It will. I don't care how, as we saw last year, I don't care how many yards JT runs for. I don't care what the defense does. If Ryan's not the guy, they're doing nothing. But to echo Joe, if they don't trade wins, then Ryan's not here. So I just, I have to go with Ryan as, as my number two because if no matter what, no matter what Atlanta d- did with, you know, sniffing around Deshaun Watson, if the Colts don't trade wins, it doesn't matter. So I, I've got Ryan number two, and we'll see what I've got at number one. You know, yeah, I like you guys, I think, are making my point. Chap, you just said it. Like, this entire season comes down to how Matt Ryan plays. 
So that to me is the number one most but, but, important but, but again, offseason move. But I, I agree. But 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 if they don't trade Wentz, then Matt Ryan is still in Atlanta or he's in Carolina. So I, I it, it's it's one of those where I guess we're just, we're arguing the same thing differently. And I, I, I can't argue Ryan being number one because he wouldn't be here unless they decided oh, – we'll just, we'll, let's just transition to our first pick, which is Wentz. If, if they didn't decide early, early, early on to cut bait and we made a mistake and we cannot go forward with this guy, and not, not only was Matt Ryan not available – no one. What were the? Remember, we talked about what what, were, what was Plan B at, at the time that they decided to, to, to trade Carson Wentz, and and you know it, it's worth pointing out that they got like Joe said a three and a two or a three and a three and my, that might be a two and what what a in, in by the way Washington picked up the twenty eight million dollars, but but that doesn't that doesn't you know totally mitigate the fact that. Last year didn't work, and it was again. Let's it wasn't all wins. It wasn't, but a lot of but some of it was. A lot of it was. I'm not going to back off. A lot of it was. Some of it was. So they wasted. They wasted 1,800 yards by the by the running back, a, a generational running back season, and a decent season by the defense. 33 takeaways. I just I can't rank it any other way because if wins doesn't get traded, Matt Ryan's not even in the discussion. Here, here's another reason why why I put Ryan number one as the most impactful for for this year because can't, can't uh, talk you out of it, can we? No, you cannot talk me out of it. I, I am stuck right here, you, and you guys are stuck with me. Lucky you. Um, I, I think that you know. You know, before you go on, last week was so much smoother <laughs> because you were, you were you were out doing stuff. And we were working, so but go ahead. But I was out on vacation. I was out on the East Coast. I was introducing my kids to the Jersey Shore, which is there probably a mistake. But uh, <laughs> they're they're never going to be the same again. But um, uh, another reason that I that I think Ryan is number one here is a point that I made earlier about the, both the good and the bad with uh, trading away Rocky Scene. You could have a positive impact. It could have a negative impact. And there's there's a lot of positives to bringing Matt Ryan in, unquestionably. He is a different leader than Carson Wentz is, and he is the type of guy that Jim Ursay wants. So when you have people inside the building that mesh with each other and kind of step uh, that understand each other that way, I think that you can accomplish more. Like when you have a owner GM and then everyone there is in lockstep. Um, and that was clearly not the case last year with, with Carson Wentz. He did not fit in with what... Uh, the culture that Jim Ursay was trying to incorporate from the top down. Um, but Ryan does. So you could see a more, a better impact because of that. At the same time, you can easily make the case as I have on this podcast, that Matt Ryan has had one good season in his last five years in the NFL since his MVP year of 2016, just one. The other four have been pedestrian at best. And he has not lifted the Atlanta Falcons to any type of success as a franchise. During that time, they've only had one winning season. It was the first year. So they've had four losing seasons in a row. He has not been able to elevate the play of everyone around him, which so many people say the quarterback, that Carson Wentz wasn't able to elevate the play of the team. If, if he had been able to elevate the play of the team around him, that they wouldn't have lost one of those last two games. Well, Matt Ryan hasn't been able to do the same thing either. So you look at that and you say, what is the impact for Rat Ryan going to be? It could be good, like I said earlier, if he can actually, if the unison, if the agreement, if the plan uh, that everyone is on the same page for is able to go forward without a hitch, then yes. But if he comes here and he is the same quarterback that he has been for the last five years, not elevating his teammates around him, not really providing a significant spark to the offense then it's not going to be good. Then it's going to be it's going to be a, a an impactful move in a bad way. And the Colts will be well on their way toward picking Arch Manning in num number 1 overall in the 2026 NFL draft. So, uh, this is I, I, that's why I think I have Ryan number 1 because this could swing the pendulum of the Colts future. 
having Matt Ryan as the quarterback this year and in the next year and beyond, if that's the case. If it is the next year and beyond, then great. Then I think things are going well. But, uh, but, if, but if things go for the worse, then this could be, this could be an, an extremely significant move looking at the direction the Colts franchise takes looking forward. Yeah, I, I think you use the word could, could. I think it will. One way or the other, this, is, this will work or it won't. The, the the culture to position now where they they don't want they don't want you know nine and seven not nine and I guess it'd be nine and eight now that's not that's not even remotely acceptable so they they made this move again we've beaten to death the reason they moved on from Wentz and we and we've talked a lot as you have about what they hope to get from Matt Ryan yes the quarterback needs to lift the play of uh, 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 of those around him. But I think in this instant, too, that this team will help him be a better quarterback. He hasn't had a running attack in the last at least three years, and they're simply not going to ask him to throw 40-some passes and 350 yards and three touchdowns. They're not. There will be a game or two. Wentz had a Baltimore he threw for, what, 400 yards. Uh, so, so, but you need your quarterback to just play the position, not do too much, but you have to play the position. But if Matt Ryan doesn't work out, if he looks like whatever Kerry Collins was when he was here, which is a, really a bad comparison, but he was 37, 38 at the time, and he looked at, he, he looked at, well, from what we've seen in practice, Matt Ryan doesn't. He looks like he's still got gas in the tank. And remember, we talked to Jim Ursay during the uh, draft, I think it was. And, well, we've got it for two years. And then five minutes later, well, you know, maybe three years. And by the time we were done, he had he had Matt Ryan here for four years. Yeah. So, Arch uh, lines and, up perfectly and, with Arch. There you go. Well, th- See, there you go. There you go. And along the way, like I said, we can get Marvin Harrison Jr. So, And then Eden, Eden James can be in there. But I think this either works or doesn't. I just don't know that with how this team is building and how it's built that Matt Ryan is is looked on as a as a as a mediocre bridge to somebody else. He needs to be a bridge of playoff teams to whomever else. So I just don't see a middle ground here. This either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, like we've talked, if this doesn't work, they're basically uh, 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 screwed. Can I say that word? I mean, what do you mean? We can just keep trading quarterbacks every year until we get a until we get a good one, right? Yeah, I I just like to look at the individual moves, like to move on from Carson Wentz after just one season, where you seemingly completely committed to him. You traded a first and a third for him. Um, he was Frank Reich's guy. To then at the end of the year, you know, less than one year calendar year, I believe, um, to say, you know what, this isn't working. We're going to go ahead and trade you. That right there is an enormous move, no, no matter what the circumstances, but especially given all the background of them bringing in Carson Wentz. Um, and, and like you said, Matt Ryan wasn't even on the table at that point. He just kind of almost fell into their laps. Trading for Matt Ryan when your current starting quarterback is Sam Ellinger is a no-brainer. That's going to happen 10 times out of 10 for just about any team in the NFL. But to move on from Carson Wentz after just one year in a season where if you look at just the numbers, 27 touchdown passes to seven interceptions, he had a pretty good year. That is, to me, the boldest move uh, made this an offseason from the Colts. And I get that. I, I like your arguments, but you, you, you all don't <laughs> convince me. I like your arguments. I think they're fair. But Have you got more vacation time coming up? I might, yes. You never know. I might have to head out, uh, give you guys the, the mic once again. Um, so that's five from all of us. I think there's a couple others that, uh, that deserve at least a little bit of a mention, um, things that, that could be super important. I think the one that, that could be ultra important that you hope is not is signing Nick Foles to be your backup quarterback because you, you don't want uh, to, to go to your backup QB. There's a reason you have Matt Ryan, number one. If he goes down, gets injured or whatever, um, so, so signing Nick Foles could certainly become one of the top five most impactful moves. If we do, if we did like a next off season, like, uh, looking back, what were the most important moves the Colts made? Foles yeah. could be up there. Another one could be drafting Nick Cross, making that move, the bold move to get back up into, uh, 
into the round. Uh, was he in the third round or the fourth round? Third round. The third they round. traded yeah, a right future then. third. That's right. So that could be a move, too, because with the retirement of Kari Willis, like he slides right in that he's going to be your guy there, that, that you want him right there alongside Julian Blackman uh, covering uh, the back end for the foreseeable future. Could be signing Matt Pryor at left tackle earlier this offseason, yeah. re-signing him. That's a big move, too. I wanted to put out. some yeah, yeah, sort yeah, yeah, yeah. of left tackle because it was like, between the combination of not bringing back Fisher, just re-signing Pryor, not bringing out anyone mm-hmm. from the exterior, and then drafting Raymond, there's a lot going on at left tackle, yeah. which left tackle always has a huge impact, mm-hmm. but it was hard to pinpoint one specific right. move. And the last thing I'll mention is just the decision not to bring in a veteran wide receiver or to re-sign T.Y. Hilton, because yeah. that's an awfully young group. When the oldest guy there is is 25 years old, it's like, man, they I, like... You, you like having Reggie Wayne there teaching them uh, as like a former veteran of the NFL. You, you, there's certainly leadership in the room with Reggie there. And I think I like some of the young guys. I like Pittman a lot. I like Paris if he stays healthy. Um, but but holy heck, man, that that's just you don't see it all that often to have a group that young in the NFL. So that could be for a contending team. Exactly. You know, so, maybe so this, if you're rebuilding. Yes. Th- yes. This could be an impactful move. Once again, as I have said multiple times in this podcast for the good, if they all come out and, and play the no one believed in us card or for the bad, if it turns out that, well, no one believed in them for a reason. So all those things could 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 be very impactful chap for this season to come. Yeah. And one thing that I wish we'd known in, in hindsight with the Nick Cross move. Not, these guys have known for quite a while, I think, that Kari Willis was either seriously considering retirement or had decided that. How much did that play in the Nick Cross drafting? Uh, I, I think probably a lot. Uh, so, you know, if you're that convinced that he's going to retire, then you make that bold move that, you know, giving up a, a future third-round pick is so out of character. But now looking at things, all this information, that's pro- that probably spurred that on. And again, Kari was probably a guy, probably was not going to get a second contract from these guys after next year. But let's not dismiss it. He's played pretty well for him. And uh, But again, I think, I think it just shows the way things have played out that they had a very, very good idea probably early on in the offseason that, that Willis was certainly leaning towards retiring. Yeah, we kept going safety, safety. Yeah. Folks keep addressing safety. Uh-huh. Well, they drafted Rodney Thomas too there in the seventh round out of Yale. Another safety. Round, they yeah, signed exactly. a Rodney and, and, McLeod. And signed, and, correct. And Armani Watts. So they, Armani Watts. And then um, the Patriots. Like, got, why, why are they bringing in all these safeties? What's yeah. safety? Well, yeah. now it's like, aha, aha. Now I know why they're bringing in all these safeties. Yeah, so quite the impactful offseason for the Colts. Heck, it's not even finished yet. Maybe they do bring in a veteran wide receiver before the day is done. If you had to to plunk down 50 bucks, you say yes or no on a receiver? No, I would say no. Like, I I think it's pretty late right now. Are we talking on just UI or any veteran receiver? Now, I'm not – any veteran receiver who's got a decent resume. Like a significant – okay. Yeah. I'd say probably not. Like I, I was looking today. I was surprised that Will Fuller's still available. Um, someone who could take the top off the of defense for the four games that he plays. Yeah, but, I was going to say Will, Will Fuller gets injured uh, more than uh, more than Paris Campbell. So yeah, that's true. You know, if I had, I, I might say I've been I've been going back and forth on Ty so long, and I realize it's late, but to sign him now, you know. Or, or wait till training camp. What's the difference? You're not there are no workouts now. If he's signing, he can go throw with, with Matt Ryan. So the timing to me doesn't doesn't matter. But gosh, I, I would put fifty bucks down just hoping they do. Whether it's Ty or Will Fuller or see if Reggie can play another year. I just we, we've talked about this. That not, not only does the receiver group scare me. But then you compound it with a tight end group that is probably even even less formidable as, as far as experience. With every piece in place, I think they're if, if they stand pat, they're rolling the dice that somebody is going to emerge, whether it's Pierce, whether it's Strawn, whether it's Patman. And I think that's dangerous. I think yeah, chap. The the key word there that that was in your uh, your your beautiful soliloquy on the wide receivers was was hope. Was that I I would put fifty bucks down and hope that they do. And yeah. the 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 ceilings in Vegas are paved with the hope of all the uh, exactly. the fools who come in 
and uh, and, and plop their I, money I, down. I, I, I've helped build some casinos out in Las Vegas, so I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yes, indeed. Well, that is a beautiful Colts Blue Zone podcast. Thank God that I am back to uh, deliver some order and some some well-meaning uh, construction uh, to to this uh, to this ramshackle uh, <laughs> kangaroo court of um, of gentlemen here. So you need you need to you need to find a sponsor because during the season you're going to be leading the the week by week comparison of wins. And Ryan. I will. So you need to have like Jiffy Lube or somebody do a segment to where you can give us an update because when Wentz is having a better season, you're going to be so hard to live yeah, with. Yeah. Remember, remember when, uh, when Geico's whole, or Progressive rather, Progressive Insurance's whole thing was like the price comparison tool, like compare this rate, our rate to everyone else. Go on to our website. You get all the rates up there. Well, maybe we can get in touch with Progressive yeah, we'll and have I can to go compare talk to sales the and numbers. Pitch that to them. Yeah. The numbers of, uh, of Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan week after week. Uh, I, I do not do this because I take any joy in it. I just do it because I think it's right. And uh, it's it can be lonely being right, as uh, as you guys know. Since I'm I'm sitting over here, opposite. don't lie, Dave. You take joy. <laughs> you take a lot of I, joy. I take a little joy in it. Not gonna lie. Hey, we appreciate you all listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Thank you for listening and subscribing as well. Getting us delivered to your podcast listening device every week throughout the off season through the regular season. And you can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone for news and notes throughout the week. For Joe Hopkins at Roto Street Joe and Mike Chapel at mchapel 51 I'm Dave Griffiths at DaveG underscore sports. We'll see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast.